it jarred with me when I first heard it. Journey back with me uh, to Sunday afternoon on the 10th of November last year. There many of us were at the village hall over in Kintore uh, at the very special occasion of Harley Rathel's commissioning as Kintore pastor. And his family and him were up the front. The church was in prayer. Uh, Many were gathered round him, sharing in that prayer time. And then towards the end of that prayer time, the mic was handed, as was planned, to Andrew Clark, who was there representing the Baptist Union of Scotland, who are supporting us in this appointment of our Kintour pastor. And Andrew Clark was to close off that prayer time. But he didn't just pray, he actually asked Harley and Liz and the family to open their eyes and to look around the room. And then he said something like, I believe as you look around this room today, the Lord would say to you, Harley, Liz and family, this is your family, this is not your home. That jarred with me when I first heard it. Not your home? Really? I mean, amen to the first bit. This is your family. Yes. But isn't home where your family is? So thank you, God, that the Rathals are here and they're settling well. And we, as their church family, we want them to settle well. We want to be to them their spiritual family in this new chapter. Don't we want the Rathals to feel at home in that reality? Haven't we been praying for that? This is not your home, the Lord says to you. But I did understand what Andrew was getting at. And as he prayed into that, I began to more and more see the beauty of what he was highlighting. Um, So after the service, I somewhat tentatively went up to Harley and wanted to know how this had landed on him. I asked him, I said, what did you make of, of what Andrew Clark shared? And Harley said to me, That was what did me in. He said, I was holding it together until Andrew Clark said that. And at that point, I was a wreck. It was exactly what I needed to hear, said our brother to me. Over many months, the Rathal family had been saying to God, God, we're open to you. We're open to however you want to lead us. Wherever you want to put us, we're ready to go. It may be hard. Harley sat like right here and he said, it may be hard if God calls us to come here, but if that's what God wants for us, we cannot be anywhere else. We must not go anywhere else apart from where God would lead us. And in that moment of that prayer time, they received God's assurance Yes, there's family here. Yes, you're safe here. Yes, you belong here. But, Harley and Liz, don't think that this is the end of the journey. 
Don't get too comfy here. Don't make contour your final home. Don't long for the home of Texas or the home of Australia. Here's the point of that moment. God was saying to them, long for the home that I have for you. Find your home there. That is, find your home with me in Christ, with his people, yes. But mainly, ultimately, find your home with me now and forevermore in my presence, seeing my plans unfold before your eyes. Rachel family, your home is with me. And that's true for all of us who are in Christ. That's true for all of us, not just pastors and their families who are willing to come with that open heart before God to move continents if God would so call them to. For all of us, here's the point of this message. This world is not all there is. Our home is with Him. How prone We can be to only seeing that which is right before our eyes. Maybe at best, a few years into the future, a few hopes, a few dreams. I suspect for for most of us, what we do is we live life in the week to week or the month to month. There perhaps are a few bigger moments through life that come, you know, like job changes or education kind of markers or family movements or, or location considerations where we maybe step back and, and ponder at that higher level. Um, so, so for example, for us as a family at the moment, um, Bethany is having to, to narrow down her school subjects to think of what she's going to sit for her, her nat fives. And there's a bit of pondering for us as a family, okay, well, you know, what, what is this going to mean for you into the future? We're reflecting a little bit on that. Maybe for some of us here this morning, the, the plunging financial markets over the last couple of weeks or so, have provoked slightly longer-term thoughts, maybe worries for some people. Or maybe for others of us here this morning, our concern is not financial markets, but just finances to get through the coming month. But in all of that, whether we're living day by day or whether we are thinking of big moments into the future. The message from God's word today is this world is not our home. There is a final, greater destination which we must keep our eyes on and our heart beating for. Even as we think about as a church, this little series that we're in, walking forward in faith, how easy it is for me, and I don't know if you can relate to this, to just slip into thinking about what might come for us as a church over the next few months, maybe a year, maybe if we're really full of faith, we might say, God, where are you going to take this church in five years' time? Even that's not enough. We need a broader perspective. I would invite you to turn to Hebrews 11. Um, and um, the, the verse will come up on the screen in just a moment. We're going to put up Hebrews 11, verse 22. Um, 
If you don't have a Bible, I, I don't know if it's been mentioned or not, there's Bibles at the back. Please feel free to take those. As John said, if you need help with that, come and, come and shout, please. Our character in Hebrews 11 today is brought before us as an example of great faith. Why? Because he saw beyond the few years that he had on this earth. Or for, for this character, a few days perhaps. This is week four out of six, and uh, we're looking at some of these Old Testament saints. Today's character has just one verse. <laughs> the writer to the book of Hebrews has a gift that I do not have, which is a gift of succinctness. I sent a message to uh, some of our, well, not some of our, all of the elders on Thursday night, and it was like a, it was a two-page A4 document, pretty small type, right? And I, by the time I got to the study here on Friday morning, Mike had replied to that email and had pretty much agreed with what I had said, but he had just captured that whole two-page document in basically four gloriously succinct sentences. And I thought, man, I need his gift of brevity. Maybe some of you thinking that, right? Put that fire over your head for just now. But the writer to the Hebrews uh, has one verse which sum up 13, 14, sorry, chapters of uh, Genesis. Uh, So let's read it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. That's a curious verse, right? Um, That is a curious verse. Two questions we need to ask of this verse. What's this talk of exodus and bones? That's question number one. And then the second question is, what is God saying to us in this verse? Of all the aspects of Joseph's life, the writer could have pointed us to, why has he focused on this reality? So first of all, what does this verse mean? Well, which Joseph are we talking about first? That's question number one. The Joseph we are talking about, you've maybe guessed if you know your Bible, if we, we go, we're going to go back to Genesis, you've heard me mention that already, is the, is the Joseph from the first book of the Bible. We're not talking about Jesus' dad here. We're not talking about what other Josephs are there in the Bible. Anyone know? Come on, spit them out. Joseph of? Joseph of Arimathea. There's two more. Does anyone know two more Josephs in the Bible? I didn't know these ones until I found them. There's a Joseph lifted, listed in Acts. This is good Bible quiz knowledge, by the way, guys. Note this down. You're going to need this one day on a church retreat. Acts chapter 1, there is Joseph called Barsabbas, who was one of the two people put up to be the apostle that replaced Judas. He was not the one chosen. Joseph called Barsabbas. The other one is in Acts chapter 4. Anyone know? Joseph also called Barnabas. And he is then called Barnabas for the rest of the book of Acts. There you go. So there are five Josephs in the Bible. We are looking at number one. Aren't you just so encouraged you came to church today to get that amazing information? We are looking at Joseph number one, Joseph of the book of Genesis, Joseph of West End fame, and his amazing technicolor dream coat. His story uh, is about the longest of any character's story in the book of Genesis, runs for 14 chapters from verse th- chapter 37 through to the end of the book. Um, but this verse in Hebrews 11, as we've just read it, it focuses particularly on the end of his life. And it says two things he specifically mentioned before he died. First of all, it says that he made mention of the exodus. 
What's that all about? If you know the story, we're not going to have time to go over the whole story, but Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, and he was taken to Egypt, where he ended up in a very powerful, very prominent role. But as he was dying, you can hear what was on his heart. So if you, if you can, either tap or flick back to Genesis chapter 50 and verse 22. So it says, So Joseph remained in Egypt... He and his father's house, Joseph, lived 110 years. But now jump to verse 24. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. This is the exodus that he's speaking about. It's like the, you know, if you watch a movie and there's a sequel and you get to the end of the movie and there's a little teaser of what's coming next. Well, this is a little teaser of the next book in the Bible, which is called the book of Exodus. Exodus means a going out. And it's when when God's people would be led out of this land of Egypt back to the land where Joseph originally came from, to the land that God had promised his family. So the writer to the Hebrews flags this, that by faith, Joseph mentioned the Exodus. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing that the the writer to the Hebrews mentions that Joseph flagged, it, it says that he gave directions concerning his remains. So look at verse 25 of Genesis 50. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear. So he's going to repeat this thing about what God's going to do, but he's going to make his son swear about how important this is. He's saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. God's coming. And when he comes, take my bones with you. When God takes you out of this land, don't leave my remains there in some tomb in Egypt. Take my remains with you. And then Joseph dies, and he goes through the burial process that's just mentioned brief, briefly there, the one that would be uh, fitting and right for a man of great wealth and power and prestige in Egypt. He's embalmed. He's put in a coffin there. But Joseph was clear, this is not where my remains are to stay. What's this all about? The point here isn't particularly the details about his bones or his remains. There's nothing special about Joseph's remains. The point is about Joseph's understanding regarding the future. The point is about his conviction about how God was going to act for his people. He's saying, don't leave me here because Egypt is not where God's story finishes. Don't leave me here because this is not my home. God has a home for me. We're in this place now, but this is not the end of the story. God has a wonderful land of blessing for his people. That's my home. That's why I need you to take me there. I think that's what 
Hebrews 11, 22 is, is highlighting. Now, the question, if, if that's true, if that's what this verse is about, why? Why is this highlighted? Why is this faith commended here in Hebrews? I mean, to be honest with you, right, if, if I ever showed up in some history book written centuries after my life and they gave me one sentence in that history book and the sentence was about what I longed for regarding my bones, I might be a little bit gutted about that, right? I mean, especially if I was Joseph. Why that? Why focus on that? Why not mention the dreams God gave him that came to pass? Or the way, because God was with him, he was able to rise to prominence in Potiphar's house despite the horrible betrayal of his brothers. Why was that not highlighted? Or the way he honored Potiphar and honored God by not falling into bed with Potiphar's wife. Or the way that God was with him in prison, enabling him to interpret dreams, or the way that despite being forgotten again by the cupbearer and left in prison, God brought him into that amazing position of influence and prestige and power in Egypt, or why not highlight the amazing way that he was able to forgive his brothers and to safeguard the future of his family. There are so many things that the writer to the Hebrews could have flagged about Joseph's life. Why this? Why his bones? Because here's what I want us to understand this morning. A true understanding of our final destination with God changes everything about how we live here and now. Let me say that again. A true understanding of our final destination with God changes everything about how we live here and now. I mean, were it not for God, Genesis 50 could have, probably would have ended very differently. I mean, it's an incredible story, right? You have this horrible betrayal And then you have this repeated trauma and trial that Joseph has to go through. He has these battles with incredible adversity. And there's this sense of him repeatedly being beat down, but then rising up again and being beat down again before rising up again until you get to the happy ending at the end of of chapter 50. And now Joseph, through all of that, is one of the most powerful men in the world. He has resolved the issues that he's had with his family through amazing wisdom and amazing grace. He has provided for them. He's navigated a nation and the surrounding region through years of famine. So the end of the story, you might think, would be this beautiful, peaceful, final breath. This grand state funeral, this incredible burial in the grandest of surroundings that would make Tutankhamun's grave look just like bargain basement stuff by comparison. Then imagine how the history books would write about Joseph after this amazing life, this remarkable rise to power. You would expect this full stop of this remarkable burial and a few words about the incredible legacy of this remarkable character of history, Joseph of Egypt. 
You see, for most people in Aberdeen or Aberdeenshire, that's the kind of full stop that people are longing for. Maybe not the glamour, the glory of the most powerful, one of the most powerful men in Egypt. But really, what are people chasing after in this world? They're, they're, the full stop that we expect is our bodies laid down, our bones entombed, you know, just at its starkest. Let's be honest, that's what people think is the end. That's what most people think around this church and around this region is the end. Bones in a tomb and maybe a good story that went before. A few nice words said about that story. Joseph could have had that, but he did not want that to be his full stop. Instead, we get this very odd focus on his bones. Despite all he'd built, Joseph knew God was going to come and take his people to the land that he'd always promised them. And this is commended to us. This is flagged before us. This is put before us in Hebrews chapter 11 because it's incredible that this was Joseph's final thought. He died with everything that any one of us could ever have hoped for in a human sense. As this world sees it, Joseph had everything. He had been attractive. He'd been upstanding. He'd had an amazing career. He'd had incredible influence. He died at a good age. He died wealthy. There was stability around about him. There was relational peace after great difficulty there. Joseph died with everything that this world holds up as the goal, the things to chase after, to pour your time and your money and your energy and your heart into. But Joseph knew it It wasn't the point. None of that counted for anything compared to Hebrews 11.22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus and gave the directions to the Israelites concerning his bones. He's saying, this isn't my home. As amazing as my life has been, better than anyone could have hoped for, this isn't my home. Do we live like that? What story is it that's providing the framework for how you understand your life? My my message this morning is not be more like Joseph. It's to point to the narrative that Joseph knew about his life, even in his last moments and what was coming into eternity. We all have a vision. We all have a story that we're chasing after, a vision of peace, of wholeness, of what is true life, of success that then frames how we live. And I suspect for many of us, we incline towards that being those things that Joseph died with, a good reputation, having made an impact, family peace, some money to pass on to those that we love. But for Joseph, his story wasn't finished. He knew God was going to work in incredible ways. And that was what guided him to look towards his final home with God in the promised land. Walking forward in faith means knowing that this What I see right before my eyes, the things that this world would chase after, this isn't the end. This world 
is not my home. So I just want to close with some very brief encouragements for us as we ask for that reality to sink in. We need to think about heaven more. We need to think about eternity more. We need to preach about it more. We need to talk about it more to one another. We need to pray that God would let this sink in. The New Testament writers are just shot through with this reality of, I'm living urgently for Jesus right now in view of eternity. We need that. So, as we think about praying for that more and more, we can't, I mean, the Holy Spirit can do work in our hearts now, but we need this to become more and more part of our DNA together, right? As we think about that, here are some encouragements when we think about this reality that God's story is not over yet. First of all, in light of that fact, you can know peace in your struggles this morning. God's story is not over yet. Brother, sister, it's not finished yet. You say, well, it was fine for Joseph to say that. He had it all together. Look what surrounded him as he died. It's fine for Joseph to have this eternal perspective. But don't forget the years of trauma and betrayal and injustice he lived with. And and regarding all of that, he said, look a few verses back to Genesis 50, verse 20. He said, as for you, my family, you meant evil against me. Some, Some of you know that feeling this morning. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. I know just a fraction of what some of you have faced this last week. And the tears and the struggles and the yearnings and the difficulties. I sat with one dear sister on Monday who through tears exclaimed, but where's the Lord? Where's the Lord in this? Where is he? And we talked of how even in that yearning, even in that prayer, we feel this reality. The story's not over yet. That might be all you've got this morning. Where's the Lord? If that's your prayer, I think it's an awesome indicator, a wonderful sign that you know that God's story for you is not over yet. When we feel that reality, this isn't right. Where's God in this? I need God. I need help. When we feel that reality, we, 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 we can pray into it and we can begin to read the scriptures to hear the promises of God. And that's what we did on Monday afternoon. Myself and my sister in Christ, we prayed, we held on to the promises of God. Dear child of God, take 
heart today. Have faith today. God's story over your life is a good story. Through Jesus, it does not end with the pain that you're feeling. It doesn't end with the division that you're caught up in or the struggles you're facing. It does not end with the confusion that you're feeling. It does not end with the inner scream which threatens to overcome you day by day. Even before his biggest enemy, death itself, Joseph said, this is not the end of my story. There is a promised land for me. Hold on, dear sister. Hold on, dear brother. God will lead you to his promised land for you. So, Hold on to hope. You can know peace in your struggles. Second way living with this faith should impact us is this. It gives us a solemn perspective about eternity. We spoke about this at our elders retreat. I love how God uses other people around about me to shape what I need to be thinking about. I was not thinking about this reality at our elders' retreat, but one or two of the elders were burdened by the fact that we need to be urgently aware of eternity, especially the reality of hell. We need to be thinking, we need to have it in our hearts that those in Jesus are safe before their God for now and forever before the creator of this world. But there are tens of thousands of people just around this church who do not know Jesus as Savior and Lord. And when they stand before the holy God of the Bible, they will have no Savior to point to as to why they can stand there confidently before the powerful King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And they will, the Bible is clear, face eternity separated from God and his love. Joseph was aware of his of God's continuing story past his final breath into eternity. By faith, he saw beyond death. We need to, church, we need to. We need to pray for that urgency to grow. We need to pray for broken hearts, for those who will stand before Almighty God without a Savior to cling to, 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 to be covered by the arms of Jesus who will carry us safely into his loving presence forevermore. We need to pray into that more. Thirdly, we should pray in faith about this eternal reality beyond what we can see. This is what Joseph did. His faith focused his sight way beyond even the end of his life. And as we come as a church walking forward in faith, we must be praying beyond what we can see. We were celebrating on Wednesday night. We were celebrating the wonderful way that we pray for one another in times of need. We absolutely do and we must continue that. It's a beautiful thing about our family of faith. But we must also be praying way beyond what we can see, even in the most important needs among us. I want to share with you the words of a song that is deeply impacted me just now. Some of you have heard me banging on about this song in the last week. But let, let me just share this, this song with you. 
It says, there's no prison wall, God, you can't break through. No mountain you can't move. All things are possible. There's no broken body you can't raise. There's no soul that you can't save. All things are possible. Now, I don't really live like I believe that. I just confess, I just don't lead as a pastor like I believe that enough. It doesn't impact my day-to-day life as much as it should. I mean, I do believe it. I do believe that there is no soul that can't be saved by God. There's no illness that can't be healed by God. There's no division that can't be brought together and reconciled by God. I do believe it in my heart of hearts, I do, but I don't live like it half the time. This is where I need you. I need you to inspire me. I need you to be praying that God will do these things. I need to hear those prayers. I'll go, yes, yes, thank you for praying that. Amen, amen. What a God we have. I need you who have more urgency and more faith than I have. The chorus of the song says this, the darkest night, you can light it up. You can light it up, oh God of revival. Let hope arise. Death is overcome. You've already won. God of revival. We need to pray like that. This is why Hebrews 11 is in the Bible. So that we might be encouraged by people like Joseph, who though he was dying, saw a future beyond that reality. A future that he wanted to focus on, despite what was most urgent before him. Even his death. By faith, Joseph made mention of the Exodus. He's saying to his people, There's going to be good times right now, like the good times you're living in in Egypt. Maybe some of you are there in that place just now, living in Egypt. Everything's good, there's plenty. There's going to be good times. There's going to be bad times coming. There's going to be tyranny. There's going to be dominion. There's going to be oppression. Maybe that's where some of you are living just now. But regardless of that, even though I'm dying, I want you to know, people, God is coming. A rescue is coming. Deliverance is coming. So we should be praying together, God, bring it. Bring that rescue here in Aberdeen, in Aberdeenshire. We pray that as long as we've got lung breath in our lungs, knowing that one day, and this is our final point, and then we're coming to bread and wine, knowing that one day there is coming, that final day when Jesus is coming back to set all things right. So as we pray, let hope arise Death is overcome. You've already won. God of revival. As we pray, let hope arise. Finally, we thank God that Jesus is coming back. There is coming a day for all of us when we will fall asleep in Jesus Christ, having breathed our last breath on this earth. We live As we live, we we fight to hold on to the promises of God as Joseph did. But when death is before us, as it is, let's be honest, for every single one of us in this room, we do not know what is coming this afternoon. As with death before us, we can be thankful that we know it's not the end of the story. 
as Joseph said, my bones will be carried up from this place. So that is the testimony of every single person who is alive in Christ. Our hope for eternity is not some fluffy cloud, some spiritual dream or anything like that. Our hope is for the resurrection of the body and glorious eternal life and the redeemed and restored new heavens and the new earth. That is where we are headed in Jesus Christ. So we pray, come Holy Spirit, do your work here today. And we pray, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus, one final day. Come and set all things right. The early Christians kept Jesus' return totally front and center. To the extent that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body for, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. He's coming. He's coming. Until he does, this is what we proclaim. These symbols that point to Jesus' death on the cross. This is our hope. This is our life. His body given for us. His blood poured out for us for the forgiveness of sins so that anyone here today can, have, can, can, can know his death instead of ours, can know his resurrected life instead of the life that you are breathing in and out in your own power just now. Instead of, instead of my failing life, I can know the eternal, resurrected, glorified life of Jesus Christ through what he has done for us on the cross. Through Jesus, even death isn't the end. Just like Joseph, we say, we have family, but this isn't my home. This is not the end of my story. God has taken me to his promised land. Let's pray. Father, I just pray by your spirit now you just impress on our hearts your word to us. Whatever from what's been said that is true and, and right, Lord, that you would impress that on our hearts now.
pray that in this time, we would know eternity in our hearts. We would know that this is a moment which points to a cosmic victory that Jesus Christ has won. And that for any who would come and receive Jesus Christ, and we thank you, God, for this picture of bread and wine juice here in these cups that you've, you've given us to remember the victory that Jesus has won over death and over all evil, all our enemies. Lord, as we come to Christ and accept him, accept what he has done for us, accept his victory in the coming to this table, Lord, that we would know you have us safe in your hands. That this is not all there is, this world, the urgent things we see before us from Sunday to Saturday. But that you are, you've caught us up in an incredible story across eternity. You've made us alive in Christ Jesus. You've taken us from from this land, even the dust of our bones, and you're taking us to your promised land to be with you forevermore. We, we feel it a little bit this morning. Oh God, how we long to know it more. So by your spirit, I pray that you would do that now as you move among us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.